the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The following program is sponsored by Church of the Redeemer in Gatorsburg, Maryland. Welcome to Practical Living with Dale O'Shield, Senior Pastor of Church of the Redeemer in Maryland. We pray that through this message, you will learn how to apply God's Word and truth to your life. Stay with us as we discover God's truths that will transform us. When Jesus brought you into the kingdom, he made it very clear that his purpose was to give you an exceptional life. In John chapter 10, verse 10, Jesus said, the thief comes to steal and kill and destroy. That's the devil. That's what he will do to you. He will steal from you, kill you and destroy you. But Jesus said, I have come that you may have life and have it more abundantly. I want you to know this that phrase that Jesus said, the kind of life that I plan for you is a life that is abundant and not just abundant, but more abundant. When we think about that word abundant, it has all kind of applications to us, and it certainly goes far beyond anything we think in terms of the material, material realm of life or just the physical realm of life, but a well-being that happens to us on the inside. With Jesus, you can have much more of a life than you would ever have apart from Jesus, not only in this life, but obviously for eternity. But for us to experience the more life that Jesus has for us, we have to cooperate with him. You have to engage the process. You have to do something. You have to make some choices that will position you to experience that life. And so what we're doing in this series together is we're talking about some of the choices that are essential for experiencing the more life. You were made for more. How do you experience it? And one of those choices is a choice we're looking at in this particular part of the series The choice is, I will grow strong. It is a choice to say, I will not remain weak. I will grow strong. And today, as we think about this whole idea of growing stronger, I want to talk to you about the connection between your attitudes and gaining strength in your life. We're going to talk about improving your attitudes this weekend and next weekend. Because there's a central ingredient that we'll look at together that is so vital for you to gain spiritual strength in your life. Now, to understand this connection between attitudes and spiritual strength, we have to start with the definitions. Let me give you the biblical definition of an attitude. What is an attitude according to the Bible? It is a settled, habitual way of thinking. It's it's a thought process or a thought structure or thought structures that you fall into and generally are not even completely aware of that will affect your perspective on things and will affect your emotions. In your life and my life, we all have attitudes that are somewhat temporary. All of us have days in life we can say, you know what, this was a good day or this wasn't such a good day. It was kind of a bad day. And so as a part of life, attitudes come and go, and that's normal. They're the normal vicissitudes of life where there's the up and downs, a bit of a, a roller coaster from time to time. And so you're never going to be on a perfectly level plane when it comes to attitudes. We all have good days and we all have some bad days along the way. And I'm not talking about the attitudes related to just the temporal dimensions, the ups and downs that are normal in life. What I'm talking about is the systemic kind of attitudes that you have. 
The kind of attitudes that really do set the course of where your life ends up, the trajectory of your life, the mindset that you carry with you that will afflict you, affect you, impact you in some way in terms of your own individual life day in and day out perspectives-wise and the emotions you experience and the productivity of your life. And we're talking about how we adjust those. What do we do? And so how do we equate and connect the idea of strength with attitudes? I want to talk to you today, first of all, about an example of a man in the Bible who had some extremely stellar attitudes. The man's name is Nehemiah. He's record, the story is recorded in the Old Testament. Nehemiah was a Jewish man living at the time of his life, living in the Persian Empire. He had ended up in the Persian Empire by way of the Babylonian captivity because Judah, the southern kingdom of Israel, had continued in idolatry and God had warned them if they continued in idolatry, they would be taken away by Babylon. Nebuchadnezzar would come down and raid them and take them away. That's exactly what happened. And eventually Persia conquered Babylon and we find a dispersion of Jews still living in the Persian Empire, one of those being the man Nehemiah. Nehemiah had arisen to a very significant position in the Persian Empire. He was the cupbearer to the king. He had advanced significantly. He was a well-respected man, but he's living in Persia away from his homeland. One day while he's serving the king of Persia, there's a delegation from Jerusalem, his home city, that comes to him in the city where he lived in Persia and began to present to him some problems that existed back in Jerusalem. And the main problem was this. The walls of the city were still broken down. They had no protection around the city but by basis of their walls. Because back in those days, the walls were the defense of a city this had been the case for over a hundred years. And so even though the temple had been restored and rebuilt and they had worship going on back in Jerusalem, they still had no protection. When Nehemiah heard the news of his hometown being still vulnerable to attack, it broke his heart. He began to weep, cry, called out to God and asked for some kind of intervention that he could help get this problem remedied. And the king of Persia gave him leave to go back and to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. So he leaves Persia and goes back to Jerusalem for a period of time to actually lead the effort in the rebuilding of the walls. When he arrived there, he investigates the city, takes a look and sees what the walls are. He realizes this is terrible. It's a bunch of rubble. It is a mess. But he gathers all the people together and says, you know what? God's going to help us. Let's, let's join in unison. Let's come together and let's rebuild those walls. And of course, if you know anything about the story, you might recall that all the people gathered around the leadership of Nehemiah, they caught the vision, they began to rebuild the walls. They started out well, but Nehemiah had to continue to maintain the attitude that was going to get them to the end of the project because it was opposition along the way. There were folks that did not want that wall to be rebuilt, and so they kept opposing all the builders. And over a period of time, the morale of the builders uh, would decrease and flagged along the way. And Nehemiah had to continue to work to keep their attitudes strong. And that was one of his main goals and main responsibilities in leading the people of Israel to the rebuilding of that wall of Jerusalem. He kept their attitude in the right place. And then a miracle happened, a tremendous miracle happened. In 52 days, the wall was rebuilt. Think about that. In less than two months, this horrible disaster that had laid ruin for over 100 years, most likely, was now rebuilt. 52 days. What I want you to note here is this. This happened for two primary reasons. It happened, number one, because God helped them. It was the grace of God upon the project. Second of all, it happened because Nehemiah worked hard 
to keep his attitude where it needed to be and worked hard to keep the attitude of the people where it needed to be. The attitudes matter. And we come to one passage I do want to read for you from the book of Nehemiah in chapter 8, verses 9 and 10. And while I will not have time today to set for you all the context of this particular passage, a lot of things we could talk about. There are actually multiple sermons in what I'm about to read to you right now. But I'm only going to pull out one little part in just a moment. But let me read for you the context of it that will lead us to the one little part that I want you to note today. Nehemiah chapter 8, verses 9 and 10. Then Nehemiah the governor, Ezra the priest and scribe, and the Levites who were interpreting for the people said to them, Don't mourn or weep on such a day as this, for today is a sacred day before the Lord your God. For the people had all been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. And Nehemiah continued, Go and celebrate with with a feast of rich foods and sweet drinks and share gifts of food with people who have nothing prepared. This is a sacred day before our Lord. Don't be dejected and sad. Would you read the rest of it with me? For the joy of the Lord is our strength. Right here, Nehemiah unpacks for us a principle that he understood. It was the principle that he utilized throughout those 52 days to get this project completed. He had maintained the joy of the Lord in his life. He had worked hard to maintain the joy of the Lord in the lives of those that had been working with him. And the miracle had happened because there had been continual adjustment to and management of attitudes. The joy of the Lord is your strength. I want to talk today about this connection, as I said, between your attitudes and your strength. And three things we'll look at together for the next few moments. Number one, we must understand that your attitudes either strengthen you or they will weaken you. The joy of the Lord is your strength. Joy is an attitude. We'll talk about more in a moment. But your attitudes will either strengthen you or they will weaken you. The right attitudes significantly increase your strength. How you view God, how you view yourself, how you view other people, it positions you mentally to either increase your strength or drain strength from you. Number two, joy is the attitude that brings you the greatest strength. What is the primary attitude that you and I need and desire or should desire in life? What will bring you the greatest strength? What will give your life the greatest mileage? Well, according to the passage we just read a moment ago, the joy of the Lord is your strength. So joy is the pathway to strength. This is something a lot of folks never put together. It's just something that we never really think about. But joy is what leads you to strength. Not just any joy, but the joy of the Lord. We looked at Nehemiah in the Old Testament. I now want to bring you into the New Testament for a moment. I want to draw your attention to a man that most of you may be familiar with if you've studied any parts of the Bible. In the New Testament, there is no man that has demonstrates any greater strength, spiritual strength, other than Jesus himself than the Apostle Paul. He was an amazingly strong guy. And the Apostle Paul wrote a number of letters to different Christians that we study in our Bible today. But there was one particular letter I want to, again, draw your attention to today. A short little letter that he wrote to a group of believers that he loved very dearly. It is his letter to the church at Philippi. It's called the Book of Philippians. And this short little letter, only four chapters, only 104 verses very short letter. You can read the book of Philippians probably in less than 30 minutes, but certainly even if you're a a slower reader, you can read it in 30, 40 minutes at the very least. 
So only 104 verses here, but Paul writes these words to the church at Philippi, inspired by the Holy Spirit, so that they are instructional for us today. Paul writes these words when he's in a Roman prison, chained to a Roman guard. I want you to think with me for a moment what your attitude would have been like to have been in the same circumstance that Paul was in. Paul had done nothing wrong. Paul had only been preaching the gospel, trying to help people, doing things that were good for people, sharing with them the love of Jesus. But because of opposition that rose against him, he was incarcerated in Rome. He is suffering for the sake of Jesus Christ, having done nothing wrong whatsoever. He's chained, as I said, to at least one Roman guard, perhaps two Roman guards, every day of his life for an extended period of time while he's in prison. He's suffering in this kind of an environment, and yet in the midst of this, he writes what is known as this book of Philippians, also known as the letter of joy. Listen to what he wrote in Philippians chapter 1, beginning in verse number 12. And I want you to know, my dear brothers and sisters, that everything that has happened to me here has helped to spread the good news. For everyone here, including the whole palace guard, knows that I'm in chains because of Christ. And because of my imprisonment, most of the believers have gained confidence and boldly speak God's message without fear. Look at verse 20, same chapter, chapter 1. For I fully expect and hope that I will never be ashamed but that I will continue to be bold for Christ as I have been in the past. And I trust that my life will bring honor to Christ whether I live or die. Here is this man in prison having done nothing wrong. And he says, you know what? While I'm here, I've been thinking about what my perspective is on this situation. What will my attitude be here? He said, I can take one track and I can be all upset about the fact that I'm in prison and this is unfair, I shouldn't be here, I didn't do anything wrong, I can become bitter about this situation, or I can adjust my attitude to to a different perspective and begin to see that actually God can take what I'm going through right now and bring about something wonderful and something good for it. And Paul said, I'm going to choose to go toward the good attitude track. I'm going to begin to believe that God will take what I am going through and bring benefit to others for it. And in fact, because he took that attitudinal track, he began to see the advance of the gospel. And Paul said, even though I'm in prison, somehow this has worked together for good, that God's word is being proclaimed. And all I want to do is while I'm here is that no matter if I live or if I die, one thing is important to me. I just simply want to honor Christ. Philippians 4, 11 through 13. Not that I was ever in need, for I've learned how to get along happily, whether I have much or little. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I've learned the secret of contentment in every situation, Paul says, whether it be a full stomach or hungry, plenty or want, for I can do everything God asks me to with the help of Christ who gives me the strength and the power. Paul said, I've learned something along the way. I've learned the secret of contentment. I've learned the secret of joy. I've learned the secret of being able to maintain the environment that I'm in with the right attitude and survive it, not only just survive, but thrive through it. And the attitude is to make sure that I keep focused on the fact that Jesus is the one who will get me through whatever I face in life. 
It's not the external things that will carry me through, but it's the internal. And so Paul said, I've had to work hard, even in times when I didn't have much and times when I had plenty. I've had these situations that I had to adjust my attitude. I had to learn the secret of contentment. I had to learn that in Christ I can do all things. I can be in a situation where I don't have very much, but I'll still have a joy that keeps me going because I know that Christ is, a, is enough for me. Christ carries me through. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. So Paul did not allow the externals to find their way internally to him. And I will tell you is this, the devil loves to get your externals and make them internals to you. If he can get your external troubles translated into internal situations for you, then he's got you right where he wants you. Let me take you to our third point. Actually, it's a, a statement that I want you to lay hold of in your life today, and that's this, joy is possible for you. Joy is God's will for your life. Now, when I say joy, I'm not talking about being bubbly all the time and just spilling over with, with a giggly sort of excitement all the time, but I'm talking about something in the center of your being, that, that center point of gravity that keeps you grounded in life, that gives you that contentment that you know that Christ is carrying you through, that there's a joy that sustains you and gives you the strength that you need. That is God's will for every one of you. How do we get there? How, does it, how do we experience that? Well, Paul also gave us the secret to this in Philippians as well. In verse number 4 of Philippians chapter 4. Listen as I read this. I'm going to read from the Living Bible. Always be full of joy in the Lord. I say it again. Rejoice. The New International Version reads this way. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. So rejoicing is something you can choose to do. You can do this, okay? You can do this thing called rejoicing. Every person can. I just imagine, this is not in the Bible, but I'm just imagining for a moment, so don't take this as scripture. I'm just sort of using some speculation. I can imagine, I think there's some biblical grounds for what I'm going to speculate today, but, but I can just imagine the Apostle Paul, when he's in that Roman prison, I can imagine him waking up every morning where there was one guard or two guards chained to him. I can just imagine Paul waking up in the morning and saying, good morning, Lord. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad. And Lord, I'm so thankful for the privilege of being in prison for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Lord, today, let me be a testimony to this man to my right and this, this guard to my left. May, we, may I show Jesus to him today. And Lord, I thank you for reaching down and saving me that when I was in, on the road to Damascus that you sent that light that blinded me and knocked me down and showed me the reality of who you are. And you saved me and washed me and gave me new life in Jesus Christ. I thank you for the power of the Holy Spirit that lives inside of me. I thank you that greater is he that's in me than he that is in the world. God, I rejoice in you today. I praise you today. I bless you today. I honor you today. I magnify you today. And those two guards are saying, what? Who is this guy? Okay. You wonder, how did Paul maintain strength? Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I will say, rejoice. See, in every situation in life, you choose your attitude. And you'll either grumble and complain and be bitter and agitated by your environment and agitated by whatever the situation is in your life, or you'll choose to say, you know what, I know it may not seem so good and so positive. I don't really like being in prison. I'm sure Paul would have preferred to be free. But he says, you know what, in the midst of this, instead of going that way, I'm going this way. I'm going to choose to rejoice. It's something that you can do. Every person can choose to rejoice. 
It's a choice you make. It's an activity you engage in. And when you make the choice to rejoice, and when you engage in the activity of rejoicing, you set yourself up to move in the direction of joy that brings great strength to your life, that will sustain you and whatever you might go through in life. The joy of the Lord is my strength. How do I get joy? Rejoice in the Lord on Sunday. Is that what it says? No. It says rejoice in the Lord always. It's again a choice you make to rejoice. Now I want to show you why this is important and how this works together. Paul practiced this in his life in an ongoing way. Because this is not the first time we see this attitude surfacing in Paul's life. We see it earlier in his life. The first time he preached in Philippi, he was also arrested and put in prison in Philippi. I mean, basically, with the Apostle Paul, if you ever went to a town and wanted to find out where Paul was, just go to jail. That's where he was, okay? And so in Philippi, he was also incarcerated. He was beaten to a pulp. He and his friend Silas, you can read about this in Acts chapter 16. He was put in prison in Philippi many years earlier. And the Bible says that at midnight in the inner dungeon of that prison, the Bible says that Paul and Silas began to pray and sing hymns to God. What was he doing? Rejoice. And the Lord, always, I will say it again, rejoice. And what I want you to see here is this. When you and I choose to rejoice, when you and I choose to praise God in whatever we're going through, the praise of God always attracts the presence of God. You cannot praise God without attracting the presence of God. Let me also tell you this. Grumbling attracts the presence of darkness, okay, okay? Praise attracts the presence of God, okay? Always attracts the presence of God. That's why it's so valuable. I could tell you many stories. Jehoshaphat learned this lesson with the children of Israel when they were going to battle against the Amalekites or the, I can't remember all the ites that they were fighting, a bunch of ites, okay? And so, but anyway, God raised them up and sent out an army of worshipers ahead of them, and the battle was won by praise. The same was true for, for Paul and Silas in prison. On that midnight, when they began to sing and praise God, and pray and talk to God and begin to turn toward God in the midst of their environment. The Bible says that God sent an earthquake down and shook that place so that all the chains of the prisoners came off, including Paul and Silas's chains, and every prison door was open. Here's the good news. When you choose the right attitude, you'll not only set yourself free, you'll set other people free. Okay? You'll set other people free. And sometimes one of the things that binds up people around you is your your failure to rejoice in your own life okay and so you set other people free by your your spirit you set yourself free and so paul is in that environment he begins to praise and worship god and god sends the earthquake and there's a great deliverance that happens but praise always attracts the presence of god now go with me to the last verse on your notes here galatians chapter 5 verse number 22 here's this connection because while you cannot produce joy in your own life It's the joy of the Lord. Rejoicing leads you to an environment of receiving this. Notice when the Holy Spirit, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives, love, what's the next word? Joy. So who produces that fruit in your life? The Holy Spirit does. And you attract the presence of God's Spirit by a choice to rejoice. Every time you praise, you welcome the presence. So there are three things, just three things I want to just foundationally lay for you today. Your attitudes in life really matter. Amen? 
Your attitudes matter a lot, way more than perhaps any of us even realize. The way you and I think about things and process things, they matter a whole lot. And they will either strengthen you or they will weaken you. And what you don't want happening in your life, you don't want to be sabotaged by your own attitudes. Amen? You already have enough enemies to deal with, right? You don't need to to have your attitudes be an enemy to you, correct? Amen? Amen? Okay. So don't set yourself up to have to fight another battle. You already have plenty of battles to fight. Adjust your attitudes because they're going to strengthen your, they're, they're going to weaken. And the most important attitude that you and I can ever have is what? Joy. That's the, the joy of the Lord is your strength. Okay? Got that part? And then we realize that joy is not just for the super Christians, right? Who's it for? Say so it's for me, right? It's for you. Every one of you. God wants you to experience joy. But to experience joy, there's a pathway to experiencing it and the way you and I step into an environment or create an environment where the Holy Spirit is able to produce joy in us is by the activity called what? Rejoicing. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. You can do this. Perhaps as you have been listening to today's broadcast, you felt a stirring in your heart, something that reminded you that you need to get something right in your life with God. The first way to start in that journey with God is to open your heart to Jesus Christ, to make Him the Lord of your life, to turn over all your life to Him. And that begins with a very simple prayer. I want to lead you in that prayer right now, and it's a prayer that you can pray right where you are. Say these words, Jesus I invite you into my life today to forgive me of all my sins. I need you. I want you. I want you to take charge of my life. Be my Lord and Savior in Jesus' name. Now, if you just prayed that prayer with me, I want to encourage you with a promise from God's Word that says, when we call on God's name, when we call on the name of His Son, Jesus, there is salvation that is brought to our lives. He changes us from the inside out. And the Bible says that if any person is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things pass away. Behold, all things become new. And that's what's happened to you today as you've opened your heart to Christ. Let me encourage you. You need to take the next step. The next step is to make sure that you get into a good Bible-believing church where you're studying God's Word. And make sure you get a copy of God's Word and begin to read it. Spend some time each day in prayer. You've been listening to the teaching ministry of Practical Living with Dale O'Shield, Senior Pastor of Church of the Redeemer in Maryland. If you would like more information, please visit our website at church-redeemer.org. May God bless you and make you a blessing. At Capital Seminary and Graduate School... Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.